So I have a birthday coming up, and I think because of that, I'm remembering the first uh, gift that really got into my consciousness. I can still remember. I think I was about seven or eight years old, and it wasn't so much um, what the gift was, it was what I did with it and the aftermath of that gift. It was a tool set. It was my very first tool set. It was a hammer and some nails and an all. Although I could not pick an all out of a tool lineup, if you ask me, I'm sure, and a saw. I went for the saw immediately. <laughs> See, because we had these, um, these uh, external doors to our cellar from you know, outside the house, kind of like the ones that flew away in, um, uh, in the tornado in Wizard of Oz. And I thought, wood doors, saw, Bring these two together. <laughs> and so I was sitting down right outside. I wasn't very smart about this. Right outside of where my mom was in the kitchen. And she had her eye on me all the time. And I brought my saw out. I thought I was being sneaky. And zzz, 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 zzz. You know, I was in trouble the first time. Kenneth. You know, the full name is used. Kenneth, please stop that. Kenneth, you must stop that. The next time you have to hear me say, stop that, I'm taking it away. Bang the ground. Do some of this over here. That saw is tempting. This time, no Kenneth. She comes out. Saw is gone. I burst into tears. It's my party. I'm going to cry if I want to. And that led to my first ever experience in running away, which was, I think, three blocks before I decided to turn back. We hugged, made up. Everything was fine. Now, this is a natural kid instinct, you know, to want to see what's inside of things. I wanted to see what was inside those doors. Having this curiosity to see what really composed something. I mean, this is a destructive urge, but it's also a very creative urge at the same time. I think of uh, a destructive character, a character who sometimes is labeled as destructive. I think of Calvin and Hobbes. I think about that final panel as they're saying their goodbye. Let's go exploring. That kind of exploratory impulse that can be so profound and productive for us if we really do want to understand what something is, understand what is really real. This kind of, well, less destructive and very creative, but still curious impulse lies behind one of our great teachers from our spiritual ancestry, Thoreau, when he talked about going to Walden Pond, why he did, he said, you know, yes, he went to live deliberately. But even more, he said he went there to face the essential facts of life. He really wanted to get in touch with elemental living. What is there? What is really there? And not just in a purely intellectual way, but he wanted to know what he could trust. He wanted to know what would turn out to be reliable for him. In this message series that I'm doing on body positive spirituality, one of the things I will be talking about continuously, started last week, will continue for a couple more weeks, are the ways in which sometimes we split away from our bodies. Split body, 
versus mind. Split matter versus spirit. Because somehow we can think the mind and the spirit, well, those are reliable, but the body is somehow fallen or evil or because it changes. Well, it's not really reliable or trustable. And so we lose touch with it, this mistrust of the body, this suspicion of it, this yearning for escape. The thing with that yearning for escape, though, is that so often it proves to be counterproductive. It just increases our stress, increases our pain, increases our sense of being disconnected from this life. I know this not simply intellectually, not simply academically, but I know it in my own body and with my own heart and spirit. I know it because for years I was a walking Cartesian dualism. You remember the Cartesian dualism? I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I have being. Not I feel, not I love, not I perceive. I think, therefore I am. That is a form of splitting off. And so as I go through this message series, you're going to see up here from time to time this little image. That is from my mindfulness app on my iPhone, reminding me to stay in touch with my body through the breath. Get back in touch. When this shows up here throughout the rest of today's message and also in weeks to come, what I'm going to ask you to do is something very simple, something very elemental. Check in with the body, whether it's just kind of doing this or taking a deep breath in. Sometimes when we listen and we're trying to make sense of things, we can fly into our minds and forget our bodies. And so when you see this visual cue, use it as an opportunity, as a means to stay in touch. Because to have, as this series says, a body positive spirituality is to learn to overcome the splits, the dualisms, the ways that want to divide us. And to know that having a body is not incidental or not accidental to our true spiritual development and growth in this life. It took me a long time to overcome this Cartesian dualism. I think, therefore, I am. Years before I knew these words, I tried to live it and unhappily so flee to the escape of my mind so that I would not have to be in touch with what was going on in the whole rest of me. And so I lived a very, very narrow life. One of the ways in which I stepped into learning to overcome this was a summer many years ago, a summer of 2003, and I was living in South Florida at the time, serving my first congregation. It was a very lonely time in my life. I had made a lot of friends where I was serving in South Florida. And also I was going through a divorce. And so I decided that one of the healthy means, one of the healthy ways I could address what was going on in my life is that July of 2003 could be the first time in my life that I was going to run 100 miles in one month. And so I set that challenge for me. And during the week, I would run three, four, five miles. And then I would save one big run, 10 to 12 miles on Friday or Saturday. Now, you remember I said this was South Florida. So Friday and Saturday wasn't Friday and Saturday during the day. It was Friday and Saturday at night. Because to run outside during the day in South Florida in July is a really stupid thing to do. (laughs) And so I would set out on these long runs at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night. And it was along what they call the boardwalk in Hollywood, Florida, where I lived. On one side, there was mostly um, 
apartments and bars and restaurants and nightlife and stores. And on the other side, the beach, the surf, the sand, the ocean. Now, when you would run past that boardwalk, the constructed, developed part, you wound up in a place that was really desolate. And so when I say boardwalk, you are probably all thinking of Wildwood or Cape May or Atlantic City or something that is a real boardwalk. This was just a stretch of pavement that went on and on and on for miles. Once I moved past in these runs, in these long runs, the places that was developed, I found myself pretty soon completely away from any other person for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes on end. And I found myself in the midst of sometimes 20 feet in front of me, pitch black darkness. And as I tried to remember to slow down my pace and take it easy and not be afraid that what's going to happen to me if I drop down or fall down or get injured. And by the way, the wind moving through those mangrove bushes, those trees, there are such things as, as, uh, as saltwater crocodiles. I'm sure there are. And one of them could leap out and snatch you back into the ocean and I'd be done for. But even deeper than that, beyond the silly fears, things I knew weren't really true. The fears really did come creeping. What if I die out here like my mom dropped dead suddenly, a ticking time bomb of her heart that would stop suddenly without warning? What if that is inside of me too? What if I drop right here and no one finds me for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a half hour? What will become of me? Who will find me here? How can I stay connected? And oh, the panic started. That dualism, my body is going to fail me. I don't know how to do this. What the hell was I thinking? I went too far. Please let someone come along and find me here. And so the thoughts are racing and the pulse is quickening and the muscles are aching and the pain starts. And of course the pain comes because I'm so panicked that the thing my body is aching for is the air that I will only allow to get down to here. <laughs> And so the run becomes a slog, a chore, the tightness of breath. The run becomes a grind. A just let us make it home. Teeth grinding, exercise, just get it over with. But at this point, I am six miles away from home. And if I walk, I am not going to be home for hours. So I am screwed either way. And then I remembered one evening words I had heard some years before and never really understood the meaning of. We want to enter heaven on earth. We need only one conscious step and one conscious breath. The words we say every week here in our meditation. I'm panicked, but okay. One conscious step, one conscious breath. It is 10 o'clock at night and it is still 82 degrees, but at least I can feel the sweat pouring off my body. One conscious step, one conscious breath. Try and slow down just a little bit. One conscious step, one conscious breath. The trees are still moving and I hope there are not alligators there. One conscious step, one conscious breath. But no, I know... I don't have to project my fears into those bushes because what is moving those bushes is the same thing that is moving me in and out the breath. But the ancients who were smart enough not to divide their lives, divide between spirits and matter, what the Hebrews called the Ruah, what the Sanskrit tradition calls prana, what the Latin 
says is spiritus. It's all the same word for air, breath, that life force. And so living not divided allows us to see that what is out there is in here. Allows us to unite the unseen and the seen, the animated and the animating. And so taking in that breath, I am recognizing that I am connected. One conscious step, one conscious breath is saying, I do not have to be divided if I can just do these things consciously and stay present and not worry about miles ahead. But while, while I'm here, be here. One conscious step, one conscious breath. I hear the waves hitting the ocean, from the ocean hitting the shore, one after another after another. And I remember the words from Derek Walcott, the wonderful Caribbean poet, who said, The sea is a plate that is soothing in its unrest. In its constant movement, it is soothing in its unrest. Yes, soothing. I don't have to stop completely. I don't have to say to myself, you were stupid to head out in this run in the first place. What I have to do is take the conscious step and conscious breath and to know that even in my unrest, outside and inside, I can be soothed because that movement of life around me is that movement of life within me. I hear its movement, the ocean's movement, and feel my own, that constancy of the never settled and yet peaceful peace. Now, starting to calm down, enjoying the run again, one conscious step, one conscious breath, looking around and seeing the amazing stars. Looking around and no longer locked in the prison of my own anxiety. Being able to connect once more to what is here. That sky that extends all the way to where the surf is out to the horizon and the moon there as well too. And to feel bound in this limitlessness that is life. I am covered by sky and held by earth and washed by water. Heaven and earth indeed right here, right now. Only with one conscious step. One conscious breath. I see the lights still many miles away of the boardwalk where the development is, where the people are. But I'm no longer rushing here. I will just let it arrive when it arrives. One conscious step. One conscious breath. It reminds me in a way that no anxious longing for relationship, no anxious longing to be rid of my anxiety, no anxious longing to have everything that I want right here, right now, if only I could be a different person. No, those means are within me right here and right now. And so no longer am I yearning for escape from the run. I am simply running. One conscious step, one Conscious breath. It was enough. It is all that I need. Thich Nhat Hanh, who of course wrote these words, if we want to enter heaven on earth, all we need is one conscious step, one conscious breath, was talking about his experience of exile, much more painful in so many ways from the exile that I knew from my own body, the exile of 
and from his own country, his native country of Vietnam, where he was exiled forcefully by the government because he spoke out against the war and the military there. And the experience of him finding a new home in France and making a new place for himself in this life. And he said he did it through one conscious step and one conscious breath. He said, if you are fully present, you need only make a step or take a breath in order to enter the kingdom of God. And once you have the kingdom, you don't need to run away from what you are afraid of or run after objects of your craving like power or fame or sensual pleasure or so on. He's saying at this moment, peace is possible. At this moment, with the conscious breath and the conscious step, happiness is possible. And this practice is simple enough, he concludes, for any of us to do. Now, you don't need to be running 10 or 12 miles your pace could be faster or slower than mine. You could be crawling. You could be riding. You could be struggling. You could be racing. The lesson is the same. Wherever we are, that one conscious step, that one conscious breath, is something that this universe has implanted in us. This means for us to use for the end of awakening. When we take a conscious step and we take a conscious breath, we overcome beyond any proof what dualism says. That we are irrevocably split. When we take a conscious step and breathe a conscious breath, our lives are no longer an abstraction. Our lives are not an experiment in thought. They are an experiment, as Gandhi said, in truth. Real, living, daily, embodied, soul-embodied truth. See, can we, we, when we can return to the basic elements of our lives, we remember that the wholeness out here is the wholeness that is in ourselves as well. We can let the Spirit touch us and remember that the Spirit has been with us all along. And if we really believe that soul and body that mind and matter are not opposites, the greatest teaching opens up to us, which is that teaching for awakening is everywhere. As we sing in so many weeks here, that great Peter Mayer song, everything is holy now. All of life bears within it some glory, some sanctification, some invitation to wake up, to not say, with that someday syndrome, when I get there, there I will find happiness. When I get this, then I will find peace. But to cultivate what is within us right here and right now, what is within you right here and right now, the conscious step, the conscious breath, and to know that no object, no person, no experience is so commonplace that somehow it does not have the capacity to teach us. But first we must be awake and aware to learn the lesson. So today I wish you really just this, which is to say I wish you everything. Where there is a conscious step, where there is a conscious sound, where there is a conscious noise, where there is a conscious breath, there is life here. 
Take a breath with me. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Great Spirit beyond any names, great Spirit that is, as the ancients said, the breath, the closeness of divinity to us that we can hold but never take, that we must give back if we are ever to be blessed by it again. May our lives be truly inspired in the Spirit, with the body, in the flesh. May each of us allow our lives to be an experiment in the deepest truth possible of coming to be, of coming to awakening, of coming to compassion, and of learning to love. May it be so for all of us. Amen.